From the kitchen of Who Gives a Damn, it's the IGN DigiGuys. And now, please welcome two men not afraid to make ice cream with bacon, use cast iron skillets, and occasionally remember to talk about movies, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What a great intro. Who, who has listened to our show that they know us that well, including our cooking habits? Corey? That was brought to you by Mario Mendez, not Menendez. Oh, yes. He can't stress that strongly enough. Don't want to be confused with the Menendez brothers. Oh, no. Not at all. Hello, everyone. Hi there. <laughs> it's hot out here. Ugh, it's the worst. It's, and we're going on, what, like seven weeks of just oppressive heat? I, I, went to the LA, uh, I went to the L.A. County Fair yesterday. Yeah? And, you know, you go to the L.A. County Fair, which is the best of all the Southern California fairs, yes. I think. Yes, Better than is. the Orange County Fair, Antelope sure. Valley Fair, and whatever. Uh, and you don't know what it's like to feel the heat, except when you're walking around mm-hmm. in 100-degree weather yes. in an open fairground at a fair. Yeah. It was truly terrible. But I've heard that, uh, and I don't know that I believe this, that if you drink hot water or hot coffee or hot tea, it will actually, in hot weather, it will actually help more than drinking cold water cold beer or cold whatever. If you drink I, something hot when you're hot, it will help bring your body temperature down. I have heard this. Really? Yes, I have. I, I've never I'm not heard kidding. That. Really? No. I'm not kidding. I kid you not. Okay. But, but here's what I had. Oh, here's the thing. I, so I, I go to the... Uh, 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 by the way, we'll talk about DVDs at some point. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, is that um, I went there because, A, it's fun, and B, I really wanted to get this season's hot fried food. Ugh. At, you know, every... Fair year, there mm. is the one new fried food that everybody must try. Okra, fried okra. No, 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 no. That, no. That's healthy. No, ew. And really? the whole well, okra. And the whole idea is that is part of the white trash fun of it that they make everything fried. Okay. This year, it was a fried cupcake. Mm-hmm. Now I walked around literally. That's really gross. Now I walked around literally for seven hours, and I did not find the fried cupcake. However, at the end, as we were walking out. I did decide to buy a slice of fried red velvet cake. Mm-hmm. Fr- come on. I, I like red velvet cake, not fried, though. You know, I liked it. It was fine. The problem with some of the fried vendors at these county fairs is that what they'll do is they'll fry the item. Fried Oreo, yeah. you know, fried Twinkie, fried Klondike bar, whatever it is. They'll fry it, and then they'll put it under a heat lamp for an hour, and then you'll buy it. Uh-huh. So the fried stuff is kind of soggy. You're now, not- if they had fried it and it was still crispy... Then now you're talking. You're not selling the fair. It's awesome. You're really not, not selling. Oh, how dare you? A lot of fried food. You know under what they had? They, 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 they had uh, fried Dodger dogs. You're making fried it sound like Dodger a, dogs. You're making it sound like a great big giant Seven Eleven. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, roller food. It's just like just acres and acres of roller food. Oh, gross. It, it, it's, it's, oh, oh, speaking of gross, by the way. Uh, oh, but, what's this? But before we talk about some great baseball sets, uh, Criterion City, some good TV stuff. Um, a lot and, of and great a, stuff this and a, week, and a, vod, a box box this week. You'll hear yep. me. You'll hear me sing the song. So uh, get your earplugs <laughs> now. Uh, I have to give away this week's uh, food. Oh, jeez. Now, and by the way, for those who are tired of us talking about the food that I make Wade every week, and he makes me nothing, you can go ahead and fast forward. Yeah. But um, uh, on Tuesday, I started an eight-week professional baking course. Oh, I thought you were going to say an eight-week cleanse. No, an eight-week. Actually, the opposite. An eight-week professional baking course. This is every okay. Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Okay. And they teach you all the chemistry, the difference between baking soda and baking powder and different, okay. different flowers. Great. Well, well, I came home, mm-hmm. and on Saturday morning, yes. I did something I'd never done before. Mm-hmm. Insert your joke here. I did something I've never done before, <laughs> and that is make a pie crust. Okay. I've never made a pie crust before. So I made something very simple. Because it was, it was about the crust. So I okay. made a very simple little three-inch turnover thing with mm-hmm. jelly in the middle. So I'm going to give this to Wade, even though it took Wade so long to start the show, that these little things I'm giving him are now probably cold. Okay. So this is a – now, this is not – as you can tell, it looks a little runty. And what is this? It's just, it's just filled with jelly. No, but what, what's it called? It's called the, the, the little turnover thing filled with jelly. It doesn't have a name. Um, okay. Our teacher made this on Tuesday to show us how to make a pie crust. I don't so to, gamble. So to make the pie crust worthwhile, she made something very simple. It was just this. You I, took don't, a, I don't gamble. Uh, well, this is not a gamble. This tastes very good. That's a, so, that's a joke. 
Huh? That's a joke. No, no, it's not. Pie crust. Uh, pie gal. You're not, you're not making the no, connection. No. Okay, because fine. I, I'm presenting you with my... I okay. baked for you. What the hell? You do nothing. Yeah. Okay. So this is... Uh, uh, these, now these. So again, if you look at the pie crust, uh, if you look at these two little turnover things, it's a little runty looking, but it's flaky, tastes good, jelly in the middle. How bad could it be? Very nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you... Okay, now stop. Be mm. honest. Mm. What did you expect would happen when you tasted it? Be honest. It would taste like crap. It would taste good. Well, what did you expect? I don't know. I thought it would taste probably bland. Really? Yeah. Interesting. But, but not. It's good. Okay. Yeah. It's good. So they're, they're good. Be honest. Yeah. It's flaky. Good. Yeah. Right? Okay. Here's yeah. the key. This is the key yeah. to a flaky crust, okay. which I have learned in this baking course, which, by the way, cost me $1,000. <coughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. It cost $1,000. Kid you not? Okay, this is a true story. Wow! Because there's eight classes, and each one's what a hundred and whatever twenty bucks. Jeez, okay, thousand dollars. All right. But uh, look, I'm single. I got nothing else to do with my time. All right. I'm going to take eight sure. baking course. And you know what? Hopefully, when God forbid a woman comes into my life, which might happen sometime in the next in this millennium, yeah, I can bake for them. That's very good. Anyway, the yes. key to a flaky crust, Wade. Yes. Uh, when you roll the dough out, very important that the butter. Is very cold. That is the key. Okay. Very cold butter. I'm just saying. I'm done now lecturing you. Hardly a single one of my films isn't based on something that happened in my childhood. You know what that is, Mark? That is the uh, story of uh, Michael Bay. That is the opening quote from Steven Spielberg, A Retrospective, uh, which is the new coffee table book from uh, Richard Schickel. Um, forward by Steven Spielberg, by the way. Oh, and wow. So, so you know this is, uh, this this is, is a uh, real uh, piece of journalism. Yeah. Now, this is by our good uh, Lafka colleague, Richard Schickel. Uh, we know him as Dick. And uh, it's... Okay, can I say something about, yes, about Richard Schickel? Okay. Go ahead. Richard Schickel, I'm, I'm going to say this. He is such a curmudgeon. Uh, such a curmudgeon. This true. guy is a miserable, miserable curmudgeon. But he's lost thing, like 100 pounds. Did you know that? Yeah, because he's 10,000 years old. No, he, like, like recently he's gone on some kind of a cleanse diet or something. And apparently his clothes are just peeling off of him. Fine. Okay. okay. Here's the thing. He is a miserable, angry curmudgeon. I mean, really, he is Scrooge. But the one thing about Richard Schickel, he is a great writer. He's a great writer on film. He's been a great writer on film for like decades. This guy is the real thing. He's, he is like emeritus status. Schickel is top five in the country as a film critic. He is top shelf. But I he agree. is a miserable... I still have... I have emails. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. I, have, I saved emails that are just so nasty and curmudgeonly that I save them. Mm-hmm. I just... Because I just... I, they make me laugh too much. This is, a, this is a really cool book, I have to say. Now, the, apart from the fact that it is literally obsolete today because it, it ends with War Horse, it doesn't go to Lincoln... And perhaps that'll be a blessing in disguise. I think the trailer for Lincoln looks just awful. Uh, you know I, what? It I just agree. looks horrendous. I just, I just can't. You know what? It seems like it. Uh, it just the just the subject matter caters to his worst yeah, tendencies. Yeah, it's the worst. But it, but this is a, this book is filled with. A, I mean, it's a huge, thick, heavy coffee table book. Great anecdotes, great stories, uh, great photographs, tons of photographs and pull quotes. This is um, this is my favorite pull quote in the whole book. Uh, this is from uh, talking about Jaws, and he says, I was out of my mind with fear, not of being replaced, even though people were trying to fire me, but of letting everybody down. I was 26, and even though I felt like a veteran by that time, nobody else felt that way about me. I looked 17, I had acne, and that doesn't help instill confidence in seasoned crews. It was a nightmare. Going into the ocean was like working inside an earthquake. Ooh. You know what? When you hear him... Speak, uh, you know. Sometimes you go, you know what? You really are Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know, there were there is quotes in this book, and I've heard this. Uh, it's actually on the Jaws the Blu-ray too, where he talks about um, why in the opening moments of Jaws, when the girl swimmer gets eaten, why he didn't show the shark at that time. He could have shown the shark, but he decided in that opening sequence with yep. the young swimmer mm-hmm. to not show the shark, so that. Because if he, he said if, if he had shown the shark, it would just become just another creature feature. Whereas now, there's all that dread and mystery still it's, ready to it, build. It's it, absolutely true. But who it, would do that today? Nobody. Nobody would do that they today. They would show the shark, and it should be gigantic. And you go, oh, my God, it's a CGI shark. It's incredible. Yeah. The, the, the filmmakers don't make those choices. So I when know. you hear Spielberg say stuff like that, and you read stuff like that in the book, you, you are kind of like, 
All right. I think you've kind of had your best days, and I think your project, you, the projects you pick are don't play to your strengths, but you're still, I mean, an incredibly intelligent filmmaker. You're still Steven Spielberg. You know, look, as much as I rip on the guy and uh, as much as I don't like where his career has gone in recent years, I mean, look, the guy made Close Encounters, E.T., uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Jaws. Anyone else makes those four movies, you are, yeah, that's it. You could end a career on that. Close Encounters, and I've said this before, maybe even on the show, Close Encounters, it has in spades the one, it, it evokes the one emotion that films don't really bring forth anymore, and that's just awe and wonderment. You just don't get awe well, and He wonderment. says, even in the book, it says, and it's a great book. I mean, I, I definitely recommend this as a great Christmas gift. But he even says, you know, The Close Encounters is the closest thing he's ever made to a dream. It's just, it's, that it's movie wonderful. is so unbelievably good. Because, again, it's emotions that movies either don't want to hit or the filmmakers aren't either smart enough, bold enough, or interested enough to hit. Which, again, is that, is that sense of wonder. So, Mark, the, yes. the, uh, the complete Carol Burnett show is on DVD. <gasps> I know. And this giant, monstrous box that they sent us, um, I, I spent ten minutes trying to figure out how this thing opens. Because there's like a little finger pull here. And, and, and I was like, you flip it up, you pull it out. It's a, it's a sliding thing, Mark. Check it out. See, it's a sliding thing. It's, you see what this is? It's the curtain from the show. See? When the curtain goes up. See, they got the little Carol Burnett icon there, and the curtain goes up. It slides, and there that. she is underneath. This time together. Yeah, this is a... This I a, love the show. This is just a great show. But then if you pull it all the way off, it's, it's hell to get it back on again. <laughs> okay. So, so they, they got the reveal right, but uh, to actually reset it to do it again is a pain oh, in the neck. Gosh. It's, it, I mean, look, there's, there's a, it's one of those custom package deals that's... Uh, yeah, yeah. Leaves much to be desired. Well, here's the thing about The Carol Burnett Show. The Carol Burnett Show was, it was a, if you don't know, it was a comedy variety show. It premiered in 1967, and it ran for a long time. It ran for like almost 300 episodes. There was like 11 seasons of this thing. And it was a variety show unlike show. You know, they don't really make variety shows anymore or sketch comedy shows anymore. Now it's a lot of like improv shows or stand-up comedy shows, but... It was Carol Burnett, Harvey Corman, Vicki Lawrence, Lyle Wagner, Tim Conway, and uh, it was the show was absolutely hilarious. There, there was uh, the onus on them to create. It's almost like SNL. I mean, it really was. It wasn't the SNL of its day. The, the Carol Burnett show was never edgy or topical. Well, it was what it, but it was came, just very it was, it was vaudevillian, a, very vaudevillian, and certainly the golden age of uh, variety sh- television. And uh, it's the one that kind of stood apart, you know, because everything else was. It was songs, and it was, uh, you know, guest and, and talk and weird shtick, you know, whether it was Donnie and Marie or the Mandrell sisters or Sonny and Cher or any of that stuff. It, was, it wasn't the same. Um, the Carol Burnett Show was all about sketch comedy, and uh, it was a particular troupe, and everybody just sort of loved watching that troupe every week do their shtick. And it was a unique show, and no one has no one has ever done something quite like that. Um, it's not the same as Saturday Night Live. It's not it's not at all in the same league with those. It's 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 its own league. And uh, the, this set is amazing. It's got gobs and gobs. There's like twenty hours of bonus stuff on this, which I haven't even gotten all the way through. There's like uh, retrospective featurettes, and this thing has twenty two discs. It's amazing. It's really amazing. It's great. It's great seeing Harvey Corman and uh, Tim Conway talk about the show. You know, in hindsight, I mean, I'm glad they they got this done while everybody's still alive, too. Well, they, everybody talks about how you know the, the most memorable memorable parts of the show are when uh, uh, Tim Conway or Harvey Corman would start cracking up. Oh my god! And that's always the Harvey Corman could not contain himself. It's yeah. just—it's uh, a great show. It is it's a, a great, terrific show. You know what? It, again, if you're if you're a younger viewer, you might think to yourself, "Oh, it's so quaint." And, and yes, okay, I'm saying I'm not saying it's not quaint. I'm not saying it's not old fashioned. What I'm saying is it's very funny, and it's not just yep. that. You know, humor has sort of moved on from what the Carol Burnett show was. Yep. It was very joyful, clever, fun. Humor, as opposed to humor now, which Indeed. has been very sarcastic and snarky and ironic and all that sort of stuff, but uh, it doesn't make Kel Burnett any less funny. It's a very expensive set. I know there's some smaller DVD releases that. Well, there's also this this week for people right. who don't want to shell out the big pile of money for the huge complete box set. There's also the Carol Burnett Show, Carol's Favorites, which is a uh, collector's edition six disc set that includes. Um, 
17 complete original episodes, which are some of the most famous episodes. Everybody really loves these, and that includes the one with Starlet O'Hara, right? The uh, Gone with the Wind. The, uh, yeah. The, 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 uh, oh, it's uh, great. Wait, it's I can't think of the words. I'm old. I don't get it. The, where she wears the, uh, the curtain rod. Yes, on her exactly. Shoulders. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some great guest appearances on this as well. So you don't have to get the complete big mega box set. You can just get the uh, Carbonette Show, Carol's Favorites. Yeah, you should. You really should. It's a great set, except for the fact that we uh, we can't replace the uh, the cover once we slide it off. That's true. (laughs) All right. Well, as long as we're talking about big, gigantic, monstrous box sets, Mark, uh, why don't you you tell everybody what you have been slavishly (laughs) (laughs) enjoying for the past hour? I, I didn't even realize this was around. Uh, some every once in a while, MLB, uh, MLB, and sometimes it's usually the A and E Network, A and E uh, Home Video. They'll come up with these really fancy baseball box sets. Well, they have their their deal with the uh, MLB is one of their output deals. Yes, and although it annoys me to no end that these are not on Blu-ray, uh, it thrills me that they're even available. And we have two of them. One of them is the 50th anniversary collector set of the New York Mets. Now, as uh, some of you may know, I'm a lifelong Met fan, and, uh, and I think this thing is fantastic. This thing is great. It, uh, you, you slide it out of its case, and there is a very nicely bound uh, book with very thick pages. And the reason why the pages are so thick is because inside the pages are the DVDs. And the only thing I'll say about this set that disappointed me is that, and Wade and I talked about this last week, we don't like it when DVDs are slipped into... No, in the cardboard. Into the cardboard, so that you've got to get your fingerprints pretty squarely on the DVD to pull it out. And so that you're risking the cardboard also scratching the face of the disc. Yes. Because cardboard is abrasive. Yes. You know? Well, also your fingers have oil and fingerprints on it, so... For DVD sets or like the Stanley Kubrick uh, set, Blu-ray sets like this, I tend to remove the DVD with um, like a eyeglass cleaner cloth. Uh, so that, that's annoying. But otherwise, this is a fantastic set. The book is beautiful. There's plenty of information on, on 1969 and 1986 and the uh, the 2001 game with the Mike Piazza hitting the great home run. They also have complete games, including Game Six of the '86 World Series. Game 6 of the 86 uh, National League Championship Series against the Astros. Uh, They do have the entire 2001 game where Mike Piazza hits the home run. And they also have uh, the um, Game 5 of the National League Championship Series in 2000 where Mike Hampton uh, pitched a shutout. By the way, I went to all five games of the Met Yankee World Series in 2000. I I remember that. You realize I uh, I also have a replica 1986... Mets World Series ring given to me by somebody. Here's the thing. When the Mets won the World Series in 1986, they obviously passed out World Series rings to all the players and personnel and whatnot. But the Mets also had a bunch of replica rings made, and they passed those out to friends of the team, maybe people who didn't deserve a World Series ring, but they were still friends of the team, like extended family, let's say, of the team. And a friend of mine got two of them and gave me one. And that's like a big deal. Yeah, and I still have that ring to this day, although it's been although it's been busted for years, and I I, I want to take it to a jewelry store and fix it anyway. So, uh, so anyway, so this has all the great games. It's quite a set. The, the, and the, the and frankly, beautiful. we should say as well. I mean, the other the other one that you're you're well, the uh, other one, which is the team that uh, that I, that we we beat in 1986. <laughs> uh, not to rub that in, but you know, I mean, it's true. What can I do? I mean, history is history. Is um, <laughs> the uh, the Boston Red Sox 100 years of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, actually, what this is, this is, this is actually, I hate to admit it, admit it, it's pretty cool. It's, um, the, same, it's the, the same booklet uh, approach. It's the same booklet approach. It looks the same. The dimensions are the same. The feel is the same. But this is 100 years of Fenway Park. Now, uh, I've been to Fenway Park once. Yeah. And uh, although I'm not a Red Sox fan, I have to say that Fenway Park is a shrine. It is an absolute shrine. Like, you feel like, like... Like Yankee Stadium? I'm going to say... That, More so? Yes. Really? One reason. First of all, Fenway's been around for 100 years. Okay. And we talked before the show about why people are attached to baseball sometimes more than other sports. How long has Wrigley Field been around? Wrigley Field it's like opened 110 in... 110 years or something. No, it's... No, no. Uh, uh, is Wrigley Field the oldest? No, no, no. Isn't it? I don't know. No, I, no. I don't know these things. Exactly. I, I just know that it's... That, you know, there's that list of things that have happened since the uh, the Cubs won the World Series, which includes, you know... Like, well, that's different. Like man-made fire, but the, stuff like that, so... But the thing... But we talked about how, you know, how tradition-bound 
um, baseball fans are. And part of the reason why Fenway is so great is because it is 100 years old. Yeah. And the reason why, another reason why we love Fenway Park is because it is uh, very small. It's a very small ballpark. Mm-hmm. So you literally feel like you're on top of the ball when you're in a seat. Mm. By the way, the, um, the last time, and, and here's something else, like, 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 like the Cubs, you know, people, again, we talk about tradition. The last time the Cubs won the World Series, it was 103 years ago. Okay, the Cubs have not won the World Series in 103 years. And the idea that in any sport, you can say anything hasn't happened for 103 years, that's what feeds that tradition that baseball fans love. Anyway, so uh, Fenway Park, home of the Boston Red Sox. This is, again, a great set. Um, this has a great new documentary on Fenway Park. It has highlights from, like, nine different seasons, rare films from the 50s and 60s and 70s. also has uh, six classic games, uh, Yastrzemski from 67, the Carlton Fisk waving home run from 1975. Um, so there's a lot of great stuff in the Fenway Park disc. If you are a Red Sox fan and you do not get this, I, I, it's 12 DVDs. 26 hours, a, a great booklet like the Mets booklet. If you're a Red Sox fan and you do not get this, I do not know what is wrong with you. Pretty insane. Same thing with the Mets. If you're yeah. a Met fan, you don't get this, don't know what's wrong with you. And by the way, there have been a lot of you know, MLB Network comes up with some great box sets. They've ha- they have like World Series box sets that are terrific, but this is really this is like the coffee table version. I know this is it's impre- a, this is impressive. They, they, yes. There's a lot of work went into this. Very it is nice. very good. Now. If you're, uh, if you're a little short on cash, and I understand that, and you can't afford the whole Red Sox set, you could always get the one-disc uh, 100 Years of Fenway Park as the Heart of Red Sox Nation uh, DVD. It's just one disc, and uh, it's an hour and a half, and it's all about the construction of Fenway Park, uh, how it came to become the shrine that it is, and all the great players that played there. So... If you can't spring for the box set, and I understand that, you should at least rent. You're probably going to want to buy it. At least rent. Fenway Park, 100 years, is the heart of Red Sox Nation. Pretty cool. By the way, the Mets suck. <laughs> All right, Mark, I'm going to blow through uh, a bunch of foreign stuff and uh, some kid vid, and then we're going to get to uh, television and a Vox box and uh, new release movies to wrap things out. You know, uh, something that came out on uh, Blu-ray recently is a movie that got – this is from Olive. And Olive, you know, we talk about Olive. They get all the, uh, the Paramount Library stuff. But every so often, Olive will land something that is just totally unexpected. And this is a foreign language film from last year that got a lot of love in our voting meeting last year. Uh, it's Japanese film called Love Exposure by the director Sion Sono. Did this surprise you that so many people love this film in the group? That it just it came well, out of nowhere? Sometimes I think that the group loves films just to say that they love something from another country. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, not that it's not a good film because, I mean, it's good. Yeah. It's fine. I liked it. But sometimes I feel like they want to be like the most, like, they want to be the most esoteric critic in the group so they love this movie. Well, here's the thing. I mean, when you say to somebody, yeah, this movie, it's called Love Exposure, and it's a Japanese movie, and it's kind of one of those typically tweaked, uh, weird Japanese movie uh, movies about, you know, basically a guy who's, ca- he comes from a very Catholic family, and he decides to uh, start taking upskirt photography, a very Japanese thing. You know, the Japanese have all these weird little fetishistic obsessions. All you need to do is troll Japanese websites, and you realize there are, there are issues uh, in the culture, and uh, then he like gets all kind of ninja about trying to do the the photography, and then of course there's a girl. He meets a girl. Well, there's always a girl, and you know she has issues. Meet cute. Okay, it's weird, tweaked kind of psychosexual uh, martial arts ish uh, romantic comedy, very Japanese, and uh, that's cool. Uh, you know, great, wonderful. Uh, where do I find it? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention. Did I did I tell you that it was four hours long? Four hours. It's four hours long. Yeah, it's too long. So that's where you know, just wait a minute. What the hell? Seriously? Four hours long? What's going on? I don't get it. But anyway, it's on Blu-ray. It's a gorgeous film, but set some time aside. I mean, it's not a bad film. It's not a boring film. It's just incredible. It's, 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 it's of its own, and uh, it's, it's an odd movie. What can I say? It's an odd movie. Um, then we also have a fantastic film here. Really, really great. This won the Audience Award at Toronto last year, which is the award that uh, previously had been won by the uh, King's Speech and by uh, Slumdog Millionaire. This is Nadine Labaki's Where Do We Go Now? Nadine Labaki is a terrific Lebanese filmmaker who previously did a little movie called Caramel, which is kind of like the Lebanese version of uh, Venus Beauty Institute, the French movie. Uh, you know, you have a bunch of women. It's sort of a feminist statement in, in Arab world and these fem- women who, you know, run a beauty salon in, uh, in Beirut and one of them is gay and it's sort of you know it's very very uh, it's like, like a, an Arabic girl power movie anywhere where do we go now is even better 
and it is still very much a uh, it's still very much a feminist statement about being a woman in the Arab world, and um, it takes place in a uh, in a village environment, and it is um, how the women basically try to stop the men from letting their religious uh, hostilities explode into just an incendiary conflict, and. Um, it's really smart. It's really entertaining. It's very acerbic, and uh, it's got some great extras on it, including an evening with Nadine Lebaki, Khalid Muzanar, and Anne Dominique Toussaint, and uh, some uh, making of featurettes and a very good commentary. So that is an excellent film. It's on Blu-ray. It's a terrific transfer on Blu-ray. And then, lastly, for the foreign language fans, we have a dynamic pair of releases from Criterion. We have a couple of other English-language Criterion films, but this is just sensational stuff. Uh, Very recently, there was a restoration of The Children of Paradise, which is one of the greatest films ever made. From 1945, this is Marcel Carnet's epic film that was made uh, under the noses of the uh, German occupation during World War II, right, right during the Nazi occupation. And the film is in many ways a protest against the occupation, but it's not like they shot this on sound stages and, you know, in, in basements. There are crowd scenes here. There's like a period film. There are crowd scenes. There's set dressing out in the street, and you wonder, how did they even pull this off? I mean, the Nazis knew everything. They knew what people were doing in their bathrooms. How did they pull this film off? And uh, it is really an extraordinary achievement in every way. The, the film itself, the making of the film. And you learn a lot of this stuff from uh, uh, audio commentaries by Brian Stonehill and Charles Afron. And, uh, the, of course, the incredible restoration of the film itself, which has fixed things that no one has ever seen properly over the years. I mean, I've seen this film at least a dozen times, and uh, the prints always had many of the same problems because they were all struck from the same damage negative, and uh, unbelievable. They just, Janus Films just went to town, got this thing whipped into shape, and uh, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's never been better. It's on Blu-ray, and it's one of the greatest films ever. And if you don't get it, you're an idiot. You're just an idiot. This needs to be on every single uh, Blu-ray owner's shelf. And um, got a lot of extras uh, in addition to the commentaries, a uh, 2009 documentary on the making of the film, uh, featurettes, a 1967 uh, film documentary with uh, interviews with the director and uh, a number of the actors, and it's just great. And uh, one of the cool little side to it, there is a, um, uh, a criminal character in the film, who is uh, actually based on a real figure, and there was uh, by the name of Lassenaire, and it's uh, there was actually a film starring Daniel Latoy about Lassenaire, made maybe sixteen, seventeen years ago. So you know, little interesting connective tissue there. And uh, the other film is Les Visiteurs du Soir, Visitors of the Night. This is also a Marcel Carnet film, made a few years earlier in nineteen forty-two. And uh, not as great, not as brilliant, not as landmark, but obviously a great thing to release uh, kind of in tandem with The Children of Paradise because it, uh, it gets to piggyback on it. So people are probably going to be buying both of these. And uh, this also stars Arletti, who was the star of Children of Paradise, who is wonderful in this as well. And uh, it's just kind of a, a medieval fantasy film, uh, very nicely made, and all, also has kind of an allegorical element commenta- uh, commenting on the uh, Nazi occupation as well. Again, not as effective, not as kind of uh, incisive or insightful as um, Children of Paradise, but very, very good. And some great, uh, some great uh, extras here as well, including the uh, 2009 documentary on the making of this film and a great essay by Michael Atkinson, the film critic. So that's it for the foreign films. And then, Mark? Yes. What are we doing? Uh, you know what? Hold on. Yes? Why don't... I'm going to let you oh. I'm going to let you prep that and then I'm just going to go through the kid vid real quickly cuz this is, you know, we got to get to other stuff. We got to move here. We spent a lot of time on baseball and Carol Burnett. Uh, for the your kids, stuff. here's what you got for your kids. And I recommend all these. I've taken a look at most of this stuff and uh, there's some there's some fun stuff on all of these. I'm not a fan of a lot of the uh, special Tom and Jerry, uh, you know, the new Tom and Jerry stuff that they do specially just to terrible. kind of sell them. It's terrible. But you know what? Halloween's coming up. 22 cartoons, tricks or treats, Tom and Jerry. That's fine. It's, it's adequate. It's passable. Uh, if you have a toddler out there, the ultimate can-do crew collection of Bob the Builder. Um, just, you know, this is basically just encouraging your child to uh, tear, the ho- tear the house apart and paint things that they should not be painting. And uh, then we also have from the Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection. This is part of the Warner Archive Collection as well. Uh, the complete animated series of Sky Commanders. Mark, did you ever watch this show? I, no. I no. don't. I, this thing came and I looked at it and I thought, mm. when did this... 
how did I miss this? Because this is something that, like, I should have grown up with. It's one of those old Hanna-Barbera uh, shows about, you know, this uh, kind of like a high-tech G.I. Joe squad that, uh, you know, somewhere in the South Pacific. And they, they you know, it, it's very, very sci-fi, very tech and very superhero. And, uh, you know, it just, I thought, I should have been aware of this. Why did I not see that? I don't know. But it's pretty cool. You know, I feel like I would have enjoyed it more if I'd have seen it at the time it, it aired. Uh, ah, Real Monsters Season 3 is out, and uh, the animation still freaks me out a little bit. Uh, this is all of that, uh, all inspired by the whole kind of weird Crick Falusi, Klasky Shupo thing. Uh, let's just make a lot of weird, grotesque, twisted monsters and uh, animate them and hope the children don't scream. But uh, some decent uh, voice talents here. Uh, Tim Curry is uh, is one of them. And every time I hear Tim Curry's voice, I keep thinking, why isn't Spamalot a movie? Spamalot should be a movie. Uh, we all speaking of G.I. Joe. We have G.I. Joe Renegades, the complete first season on Blu-ray. And uh, this is originally aired on Hub, uh, which is one of those TV networks that I just still don't know where to find. I, I, you, you look for it, it's not there. So somebody has Hub. So obviously somebody has seen this when it originally aired. Uh, you know, this is uh, basically they're just getting the G.I. Joe, uh, getting their G.I. Joe on in an animated sense to try and maintain the franchise so that these movies, the second of which is now delayed until next year, right? The, yes. The new, it's just. It's done but delayed. Oh, my God. And you know what? They only delay films uh, if they're really good. <laughs> uh, Cat Dog Season 2, Part 2, you know, um, more twisted, weird, sick junk. I. It's just the strangest concept ever. It's, it's half cat, it's half dog, it's. It's some kind of Siamese twin freaky thing, and uh, you know what? People seem to like it, so, you know, children today, they're, they're disturbed. You know what's really excellent, Mark? Uh, the Combo Pack, Blu-ray, DVD, Ultraviolet of Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 1. This is an original uh, DC Universe animated film. Uh, extremely well animated. I gotta say, this is very, very impressive and really well written, and uh, I, I, I wish some of the people who are involved in this would have gotten involved in, like, the Green Lantern movie because they have some people who are working on these animated films that are very, very sharp. And uh, this, you know, again, is part one. So um, hang on for part two. But the animation comes through really, really nicely on Blu-ray. Very nicely done. Um, this is a feature film, and this is a foreign film, but it's, you know, we've got to talk about it in the animated uh, section here. This is a two- 2012 Academy Award nominee, on Blu-ray uh, and DVD, Chico and Rita. This was kind of a surprise nominee. I remember when we got this, and everybody's like, well, you know, what's going to be in the end? Anim- well, okay, we'll look at the uh, Spanish-language animated film because it's Fernando Treba, who had won an Oscar for uh, Belle Epoque. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a known filmmaker. He's worked in Hollywood a little bit. Lovely man. I've interviewed him, and here he's dabbling in the animated realm. I didn't think the film was that great. It, it's set in Cuba, uh, pre-revolution, uh, late 40s, um, but for some reason, the you know that kind of cool breezy think, animation yes. and the music. It, People were swayed by the animation and the music because the relationship between the two characters. It's a relationship that spans like fifty years. Yeah. So what they do is they'll meet and then not run into each other for another like twelve years. So by the time it's over, you're like, I don't so really even know death. you. I don't know the you know, it, as a character piece, I, it was not very good. But yeah. as as a, as a piece of music and as a piece of animation, I thought it was very interesting. There's stuff interesting in it, and yeah. the Blu-ray is very very nice. It certainly does favor the animation. And then if you're a fan of uh, Thomas and Friends, we've got the Blue Mountain Mystery, the movie. This is a feature-length movie on a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. And I don't know that Thomas and Friends ever really needs to be on Blu-ray. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who's, you know, three-year-old has been watching Thomas and Friends and that horrible, horrible animation of the train with the face on it uh, going, you know, uh, Mom, Dad, I, I, couldn't you get this in Blu-ray? Because I can actually see edge enhancement on the on the bad CGI. I don't know if anybody is screaming for that, but uh, I guess it'll it'll impress enough parents that, you know, some of them might want to put it on. Uh, Barney, this is Barney the Dinosaur, Most Lovable Moments, which is to say that this is a DVD with nothing on it. Exactly. Um, exactly. Was that, was that just, just marginally funny? Not really funny. Eh, just sort of more true. Scale of one to ten? More true than funny. Yeah. Four yeah. on the, four on the uh, uh, comedy scale, eight on the truth scale. Yeah, I think so. 
Uh, and then we have a documentary here on Bill Plimpton. Now, this is a documentary, but it goes here because it's marginally related to animation. So I'm just putting all the animation to get together to get the buffet, the animation together today. This is from director Alexia Anastasio, and uh, it's called Adventures in Plimptoons. If you don't know anything about Bill Plimpton, Bill Plimpton is the guy who almost had a job working at Disney and just said, uh, screw you, I'm going to go do my own thing because I, I got to make twisted stuff. And Bill Plimpton makes some of the most bizarre, twisted, weird, psychotic animation in the world. But you know what? It's all entertaining. It's not indulgent. It's his own style, his own statement. He's gotten a number of Oscar nominations out of it. And Including this your face. Now, is, is your face on? I'm sure your face is in there somewhere. Uh, in, in pieces, That's like yeah. his most famous yeah. work, I would think, your yeah. face. Uh, you, so, you know, you get a lot of, a lot of people weighing in on, on his, his genius, including Terry Gilliam and uh, Ralph Bakshi, who obviously both were very, very influenced by him, and they're very good friends with him. And uh, you know what? It's uh, it's just it's a it's a nice look at a very seminal animator and why he's important. Did I ever tell you when uh, Bill Plimpton uh, signed an autograph for me? Did I ever tell you the story? No. So uh, I'm at this. Uh, I don't know where I am. You know, I, I'm at one of those year-end LAFCA, you know, uh, dinner parties that we get invited mm-hmm. to, and it's Bill Plimpton. I'm very excited. Right. And Bill Plimpton says, and Bill Plimpton's he, he's pimping out his new feature-length. It was his very first feature-length film that was coming out that year. Sure. And he says, you want me to, you know, do you want an autograph? And I'm not a big autograph guy. Uh, but Bill Plimpton says, sure. Bill, but when Bill Plimpton asks, I'm like, yes, I'll take an autograph. So he whips out this little postcard that uh, is pumping, pimping out his film. Mm-hmm. And he draws a little figure on the postcard and signs it Bill Plimpton. I'm very excited. Very excited. Bill Plimpton took out his postcard, drew a figure, and then signed it. So excited. What a great moment. So I'm, I'm walking around the party. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate doing making that effort for me. I'm walking around the party. I see uh, our friend Amy Nicholson from Box Office Magazine. I say, Amy, you will never guess what just happened. Bill Plimpton just whipped out a postcard and drew a picture for me and signed it. And she said, yeah, you mean this picture? Yeah. And she took out a postcard with the same picture yeah. and the same signature. There you and go. Uh, so uh, I, I did not feel special at all. I'm sorry. I was crestfallen. Well, you I thought, know, I thought Bill liked me. Turns out he was probably signing those autographs with that very same picture all and night, talking them to everybody. Uh, and then we also have Iron Man: Armored Adventures, Season Two, Volume Two. And uh, you know, this is uh, what, what can I say? This is Marvel doing the same thing that DC does with the Batman stuff, which is to say, uh, basically keeping the franchise alive, keeping it in people's face. Uh, in an animated form on television, so that uh, when the movies come around, you're you still got the you still got the feeling, you still got the feeling. You got to go. You still got to go get your fix. Uh, so we alternate the animation and the live action. Uh, this is it, you know this is perfectly fine. I I don't think it's uh, groundbreaking or genius or anything, but it's uh, you know it's there for the fans from Vivendi if you want it. Uh, Iron Man Armored Adventures Season Two Volume Two. Uh, Wade, yes. Anything else? Yes, that's it for the that's it for the animation kid bit. All right, listen, we got some uh, we got a Vox box coming up. We have um, one last Criterion to talk about, and uh, let's continue with TV. We have you know in the um, from 1953 to 1961, Edward R. Murrow. Now, those of you maybe have heard of Edward R. Murrow because he was the subject of George Clooney's Good Night and Good Luck. Really good movie. But Edward R. Murrow was a pioneer in journalism. What people don't remember is that Murrow was actually kind of a pioneer in celebrity interviews. He did a lot of celebrity interviews, not puff pieces, but they were celebrity interviews. And a lot of them were on a very popular show he did in the 50s called Person to Person. And CBS uh, DVD has finally wisely started to package these. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, man, this is these are three great, great DVDs. Now, I'm going to read everybody who's interviewed on these because you're going to realize that, uh, uh, that this was just great stuff. By the way. All, you realize who directed these person-to-persons? Franklin Schaffner. Now, Franklin well, Schaffner right. directed Patton and Planet of the Apes. Oh, my gosh. And here he is in 1953 to 1961 directing person-to-person. I did not. I, you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd known that at one point and completely forgotten it. Now, some of these were interviews at the celebrity's home. Some of these were interviews on a set, and the set was very sparse. So it's not like uh, you know Schaffner's bringing his uh, you know Planet of the Apes uh, sensibilities to, to person to person. But it's interesting. Anyway, there's three of these, highly recommended. Uh, one is called uh, American Icons. That's Andy Griffith, John F. Kennedy, Danny Thomas, Jackie Kennedy, Dick Clark, and Robert Kennedy. So that's the best of person to person American Icons. The other one is um, Hollywood Legends. This is Edward R. Murrow at home with. Marilyn Monroe, Bogey and Bacall, Marlon Brando, Charlton Heston, Liz Taylor, and Paul Newman. 
So already, uh, these are these are icons. I mean, Edward R. Murrow didn't just talk to like uh, you know Shecky Smith. I mean, the guy was like sitting down with the greats. Awesome. The third one is uh, the best of person to person legendary entertainers: uh, Liberace, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Carol Channing, Milton Berle. And uh, and there's by the way, each one has more than what I'm reading yeah. off to you, but still, it's great these stuff. Are, wow. So these are really highly recommended. Um, okay, Family Guy. Volume 10. Now, Wade yeah. knows I'm a big Family Guy fan. Yep. And it's funny because I, I was kind of noticing that the quality of the show was slipping in recent seasons. I think that maybe because Seth MacFarlane is stretching himself a bit thin. I mean, he was obviously prepping, directing, and in post on Ted, which is a very funny movie and a, and a surprise worldwide hit. But still, that took up his attention. He's got three primetime shows on Fox. That's taken up his attention. So his original creation, Family Guy, he may be not paying that much attention to it anymore. But when you look at the uh, at the um, at the Blu-ray, the uh, DVD for um, uh, Family Guy season ten, you realize that there kind of were a lot of good episodes in season ten. Uh, you know, there's the Lottery Fever one where where where, where Peter buys four hundred thousand lottery tickets, hoping he's going to win. Yeah, I don't know this. And then uh, there's the Amish one. Yeah, I don't where know they this. go to Amish country. Okay. Good- Goodbye, Abraham Lincoln people. Um, and uh, there is a lot of good episodes on this, actually. And you know what? There's actually a really funny one that was on TV last night. It's the one where uh, <laughs> I know I'm so lame. Um, it's the one where uh, I'm scared that you know it, that. It's, it's the viewer mail. It's the viewer mail one mm-hmm. where it turns out that Family Guy was based on an old BBC One show called <laughs> Chap of the Matter. And so it, this kind of funny. This is a segment of. Chap of the Matter, the BBC One show that mm-hmm. Family Guy is supposedly based on. Yeah. That was actually very funny. Um, anyway, uh, special features include um, uh, commentaries and uh, the, the music for Road to North Pole, because Family Guy does have very mm-hmm. good orchestral music, because Seth MacFarlane is, is a big old school music guy. And, uh, and also, Adam West's, you know, Adam West is on the show. Adam West uh-huh. plays uh, Adam West okay. on the show, the mayor of Quahog. Okay. And here they have some video of the uh, he got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You got that. Anyway, uh, good stuff here. And the best part, of course, is that all the um, all the language that was bleeped mm-hmm. is on the there. Fox airings is there. Are there? Nice. That is always funny. Well, we got a bunch of estrogen here, and we're going to get from the estrogen into our Vox box in a moment. Um, but I want to talk about Gossip Girl. Which uh, I guess is somewhat timely now because um, what's her name got married to Bla- Blake Lively just got married to the Green uh, Lan- to Green Lantern. He's not just the Green Lantern, by the way. Ryan Reynolds appears on an episode of Family, Family Guy. Guy season ten. Well, anyway, speaking of that, uh, you know Blake Lively, of course, uh, you know lovely, lovely, lovely woman, and uh, there are all new episodes of this now starting on the CW. But anyway, this is the uh, fifth season of Gossip Girl. And, uh, you know, it's a soap opera, and I, I have, you know, you, you watch this, and there's all kinds of stuff going on, and somebody is somewhere, and somebody's on a vacation, and it's summertime, and I don't know where this is picking up, but it's, you know, it's one of those shows. It's a CW show. What do you want? Uh, more My Speed is uh, Desperate House. Oh, by the way, there's a gag reel on that. Not very fun, a gag reel. Desperate Housewives, the eighth and final season, and uh, I love Desperate Housewives. This is just brilliant. This includes the final kiss goodbye. Uh, which is just, you know what, this show ended on such a high note. It really did. Just a, a tremendous high note. A fabulous finals, final episode. And uh, this is great. I can't wait for this to eventually be on Blu-ray because it was shot for a number of the final seasons on high def. And damn it, it needs to be on Blu-ray. So get going on that, would you please, over there at uh, ABC and, and Disney. Do it. Just do it. Get on it. Uh, but otherwise, a bunch of bonus features, uh, I guess, is this goodbye and a, and a commentary on the finale from uh, Mark Cherry, the creator, along with some bloopers and deleted scenes, which are always pleasant because everybody had so much fun on this show. It's a great show. Really, really cool. Uh, absolutely fabulous. The 20th anniversary specials. If you love Ab Fab, you just can't not love this. Now, these aren't, you know, these are, these are uh, a trio of specials that they did, including one for the Olympics. Everybody came back together. The whole original cast, not looking so bad, got to admit. Everybody's got, you know, a little bit of, uh, little bit of wear and tear on them, but it's still a funny show. And uh, there's, a, there's a bit where, uh, the, you know, Safi, the, the good girl, wound up in prison 
for like a passport forging violation, uh, and it just it's it, the whole episode is just outrageously funny. I, I cannot I cannot tell you how funny it is. Lame. So I'm thrilled that they came out with the specials because now you can have a, a complete set of all of your uh, your ab fabs. Lame. Uh, season six of Army Wives, part one, and uh, you know this is a, this is a pretty decent show. I, I I'm, I'm hit and miss on it. I mean I've watched a few episodes that uh, didn't really seem to go anywhere, but there are others that are very very well written and poignant, and it's you know nice East Coast. Uh, environs where they shot it not much by way of extras bloopers and deleted scenes that's it but uh, the nice thing is it's not just soap opera soapy and soap opera like it does get inside kind of what it means to be an army wife and I'm glad they're they're a little bit respectful in that sense and of course even though I don't think Body of Proof is a very good show uh, this is the complete second season Dana Delaney is just deliriously wonderful and I can't watch her without wondering when are they going to get it together and get China Beach on DVD just sort out those, that music licensing issue and get it done um, anyway this is uh, season 2 20 episodes and uh, it's basically Quincy with uh, Dana Delaney being hot instead of uh, Jack Klugman being not hot. That's all I can say. But uh, tons of bonus features here, lots of featurettes, as well as um, it, well interviews and featurettes. And it's all it's all great stuff. It's uh, you know it's a fun show. What can I say? It's not a great. I, no, it it's not a fun. great. It's not a great show. But if you love Dana Delaney, you know it, it. She carries you through. You know when China Beach is finally released on. Um on DVD or Blu-ray, are you going to like quit the business? Because you've been talking about that for like ten years. Uh, yeah, that'll probably be the end. I'll, I'll just that'll be it. That that'll be the, the culmination <laughs> of my life's uh, quest. Wait, is it Vox Box time? Because I'll be honest, it's Vox Box time. Do it. It rock is. It, rock it. Ooh, rock that do intro. I get to, uh, oh, okay. It's Vox Box. Hi, Mark and Wade. It's Shaw Dixon. And last week you brought up William Goldman. And I was thinking, what is your favorite William Goldman script? I think Bush Cash is probably his best, though Misery and Princess Bride are right up there. And probably his worst is Dreamcatcher. Uh, what are your favorites, guys? Thank you. Wow, great question. Thank you, Chevelle. Um, the, you know, boy, uh, your, your favorite what William Goldman. What did you just Gold- call him? Did you call him Shell? Chevelle. Oh. I thought you said Shell. Chevelle. Thank you, Shell. No, Chevelle. Chevelle Dixon. Um, what do you think? What's your fa- What's your favorite? Bill, oh my Bill. god. We, we call him Bill. What's your favorite script by Bill? Ugh, do I have to pick one? You know what? Can I narrow it down to three? Yeah, sure. Butch Cassidy, All the President's Men because of one Best Picture, and uh, Princess Bride. Uh, I'm going to say that. Uh, I took all the good. <laughs> I yeah, take all know, the good ones. You away. know. You know what? Uh, Misery is awfully good. Um, Butch, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid really that's, that's how, do you, how do you top that um, I'm going to say worst uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man yeah that's uh, that really was now was yeah. that the was that the end of Chevy Chase oh my gosh that was just such an egregious movie knew. that was like a, you, you have to imagine that was a for hire job and he just rewrote somebody else's crap and just took the paycheck you know what movie that uh, he took a lot of crap for but I liked was The General's Daughter with um, uh, Travolta the movie's yeah. not that bad, and you know, uh, Great Waldo Pepper doesn't get enough uh, attention. That's a fun movie. That's a that's a fun underrated George Roy Hill movie, and a good double feature with Angelina Jolie's Salt, Waldo Pepper and Salt. Wow, that's yeah. And by yeah. the way, you know what? Here's the thing. You know what? Something else too is that if you want to see a thriller of the kind they don't make anymore, and that William Goldman wrote, he also wrote the novel. You should check out Marathon Man. From 76, John Schlesinger. And John Schlesinger was a pretty transgressive kind of director, wouldn't you say? I would agree. I mean, the guy uh, I, did a I, bunch of films, but you know what? He directed Midnight Cowboy. And John Schlesinger did uh, one of my favorite films of all time, uh, which was one of his last films, actually. Billy Liar. I love Billy Liar. great. Billy but, Liar. but even more recently, I, I have to say Cold Comfort Farm, which was oh, made yeah. for British television, is such a wonderful movie in every conceivable way. But he was gay, and at the time, for, you know... Uh, and out. And out. Yeah. Which, now you're talking the... you know 60s, you, You're talking 60s. the 60s. Yeah. Uh, that was a big deal. And I would say... Now we're getting into other... Well, actually, it's all William Goldman. But if we're getting to John Schlesinger, 
Billy Liar, love it. Midnight Cowboy, one best picture. Sunday Bloody Sunny is coming out on Criterion soon. I know. Actually. So nice. And that's good also. And uh, you know what? The Falcon and the Snowman, which uh, Sean mm-hmm. Penn is also good from 85. There you go. Uh, anyway, so that's um, John Schlesinger. Now, Wade has more TV. Well, we're going we're gonna to plow through some more television. And, my, and meanwhile, if you want to send us a Vox box or even send us a uh, listener mail, go ahead and do so at gods at digigods.com. Anytime, anywhere, just hit us. Uh, we're there. Gods at digigods.com. And uh, wrapping out as much TV as we're, we're able to, we've got three CSIs. Too many damn CSIs on television. We've got three CSIs to talk about here. Twelfth season of uh, CSI, the original CSI. As long as we're talking about people who used to be on China Beach, Marg Helgenberger does not age. Uh, love her to death. She's great. And uh, this, you know, by now in the twelfth season, somehow Ted Danson is on this show. And uh, that's just a very strange thing to me. But, you know, what do you want? Elizabeth Shue is also on the show. And, by the way, Elizabeth Shue is also in uh, House at the End of the Street, which just opened last Friday. Crap. Horrible movie. Jennifer Lawrence and Elizabeth Shue, two Oscar nominees in basically the worst knockoff of Psycho I have ever seen. Well, yeah, but it's like, you know, they must have shot that a couple years ago, and then they saw her getting big, and then they they held it. I don't know. It's a a relativity film, so who knows? Here's the thing. Do we hear much about relativity anymore? No. No. For good reason. So anyway, uh, 12th season of CSI. It's got uh, a couple of episodes with audio commentary, a few featurettes. Otherwise, it's the same junk. You know, they, uh, they dust for prints and they use all kinds of technical gizmos to catch bad guys. Uh, totally different is the final season of CSI Miami, which is a completely different show. Um, what makes it different is that they're like doing all this stuff in Miami. So it's completely different. And it's, it's just, just much hotter there in it's Miami. It's much hotter. It the other it's just the d- different buildings and different backdrop and different actors. And it's just completely different. And here there's also two episodes with audio commentary and more featurettes. But they're, and, you know, deleted scenes and a gag reel. But it's totally different. Completely, entirely different. And David Caruso, man, can you believe that guy once thought he had a feature career? He is a TV cop. That's all he's ever going to be able to do. That is true. And then lastly, uh, to really expand the CSI universe, CSI New York, the eighth season, um, is totally different from the other two because it's in New York. And that's just how it is. Uh, Actually, to to be honest, I think CSI New York is probably the best of the lot these days because, uh, you know, Gary Sinise is pretty great. That guy just brings it. He's, he's, he's got a presence on television that is awfully, awfully hard to compete with. Uh, and Celia Ward I've always enjoyed because she's just ageless and just unbelievably gorgeous. But it's all about Gary Sinise, man. That guy just really, really brings it. And uh, this uh, does not have any commentaries, but it's uh, more of the same, you know, in, in New York. And Mark, why don't you you're, – you're a Shatner you you love goofing on Shatner. Could you, you explain yes. to me what I mean? Come on, the the hairpiece. Just you take it. You know, don't you think that I, I kind of wonder when Shatner started wearing the um, the wig? He he didn't wear it during the Star Trek years, no, did he? No, but then he lost his hair, and then he started. I don't know. But, it, but no one's ever seen him without his hair. No one's even ever seen him with gray hair or thinning hair. I know. You know it's what I mean? Weird. Just uh, weird. One, one of these days. Anyway, you know what? Uh, back in the day. Uh, and when I say in the day, I mean like in the 70s. Every network used to have a miniseries division. Yes, they Where all did. they would do is create miniseries. There'd be, they'd play over two nights or three nights. You know, Roots is probably the most famous miniseries ever. And a lot of these miniseries were historical. They were written by, you know, uh, uh, who's the guy who writes like the 1,000-page novels? Each, each one's oh, name. Michener. 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 Yeah. And, you know, John Jakes. There was a couple by John Jakes. And one of them is uh, the Kent Chronicles. And the Kent Chronicles is uh, three, uh, three sh- uh, movies, The Bastard, The Rebels, and The Seekers. And it stars uh, Shatner, Kim Cattrall, very young Kim Cattrall, very young uh, Don Johnson, and Delta Burke, and, of course, Tom Bosley. Now, there were more uh, Kent Family Chronicle novels than there were movies. But anyway, um, these people really like these. Um, Shatner, I don't... Shatner, to me, is a very modern... Actor, and I don't it does not belong here, and I don't really see him belonging here. But anyway, it's all revolutionary, revolutionary era stuff. You know, a uh, young Frenchman comes to America and you know crosses paths with like you know Paul Revere. Shatter plays Paul. Re- Shatter plays Paul Revere. I mean, that's honestly, it's just it's wrong. You know who else is in this? Is uh, George the British Hamilton? Are coming. <laughs> the British are coming. It's just the worst. George Hamilton's in this too. You know what? These are. I, I actually you know what. I, I at this point, Acorn must just be 
Well, and look, it fell into their lap. Why not? Shatner, I mean, look, Shatner's face. Look, you look at Shatner's face. You walk down. You walk through a Best Buy or somewhere, and this thing's on the shelf. You're going to double take because you're going to go, "That's Shatner." And this is back when he was like, kind of like in that middle age, but still handsome yeah. kind of era. Yeah. And uh, look, T.J. Hooker, environment. You love T.J. <laughs> it's the best. Anyway, so Ken you know what's Chronicles- great about T.J. Hooker? Not to go on a tangent, but we always go on tangents. The best thing about T.J. Hooker was every episode included some soliloquy about why it's a jungle out there on the street. It was the best. It was the worst. Really the best. Adrian Zmed. Gotta love it. He was on. He was on, He replaced Danny Terrio on Dance Fever. You know that. I do. <laughs> and, that, and that's why that show died. Shortly after. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, 30 Rock is, uh, is out on uh, season six. And uh, this has a new season starting shortly on, uh, on Thursday. Um, you know what? I have... Uh, I find it amazing how much 30 Rock I have not seen. I, I thought I had seen a lot of it, and the reruns are all over television now, and it seems like every other episode is something I haven't seen. You know, the, so, you know, you know the thing about 30 Rock is, hmm. and when you get into the later seasons, yeah. and, and I, I might be in the minority on this, yeah. is that it's obviously very funny, and it's very inside, and all that kind of stuff, but I noticed that the characters aren't really growing or developing. It's sort of becoming just about the show, and Alec Baldwin, and I feel like that's going to become that's well. It's that's why a, the, the show returns. It, it is, and then that's just the that's just the scene. You know, it's it's not a show about character. It's a show about these wacky, the wacky chemistry of these people, and uh, it, it you know because it is very very broad comedy, and because most of it, look all these shows always sort of revolve around. Uh, mildly dysfunctional people and one insanely crazy person. There's always one crazy person. And in this case, it's, you know, Tracy Morgan, which is what Michael Richards was on Seinfeld. And you can kind of go right down the line. The, every one of the, it's like, or the guy on, uh, uh, what, was, what was the, uh, Just Shoot Me, the, uh, the, the crazy. David Spade and. Uh, the, the, well, the crazy lumbering, uh, what's his name? The big, the big scary guy. Um, Shecky Green? Yeah, whatever. Star Wars? You know, there's always one, or Johnny Fever on WKRP. You know, there's always one person who's unhinged. So uh, Tracy Morgan is hysterical on this show, and, you know, it's more of the same. Jeez, it's, you know, the season six has been doing it for five years by the time you, you add this to your shelf. So uh, you're good. And uh, this includes both versions of Live from Studio 6H, if you recall that. Uh, there was, there was a, uh, a West Coast version and an East Coast version. Oddly enough, so um, that's a, that's a, a little bit of television history there. So go and check it out. Also, some nice audio commentary work by uh, some of the people involved, including Jane Krakowski. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, if you have the first five seasons, you got to get it. Uh, wrapping up TV, I guess we have uh, Supernatural on Blu-ray. This is season seven. Supernatural is one of those uh, CW shows that is very similar to all the other CW shows. We're really hot guys and really hot girls uh, are vampires or they run around in beautiful uh, dresses and and clothing and look all hip and bunch of crap. Anyway, this one people dig because it's got like, you know what it is? It's like more demons kind of a thing than it is, you know, vampires and werewolves. But I just think this thing is terrible. It's just not my it's just not my cup of tea, man. Uh, anyway, four discs, 23 episodes, a couple good special features, uh, including some commentaries uh, directing the show. And uh, outtakes and whatnot. Um, so that is Supernatural Season 7. It's well shot. Looks good on Blu-ray, but it's just an, another one of those stupid CW shows. Uh, Get a Life is a show that Chris Elliott... Chris Elliott's kind of a cult comic. I don't know that um, uh, many people would remember him anymore, but uh, he's a cult comic who starred in a series for two seasons called Get a Life. Now, Get a Life is now out on... Uh, the complete series is out on uh, DVD. This is called the unspecial non-anniversary edition of Get a Life. And Bob Elliott, his dad, is Bob of Ken and Bob on the radio, and his daughter, uh, Allie Elliott, Allison Elliott, was uh, recently fired from Saturday Night Live, That's which right. I think is a bad move because I think she's very talented. And I don't like the fact that comics who we know growing up and learning about and loving comedy are now having daughters who are attractive and are uh, entering television. Yeah, I know. I don't like that. I know. It's a problem. Yeah. Anyway, so um, you know the uh, just so you know the uh, the character is kind of based on Dennis the Menace, and it's about a uh, Elliot plays a guy who's like a thirty year old paper boy living at home, and uh, and Elliot is again he's a very cult kind of a guy. He's um, not uh, everybody's uh, cup of tea, but he is very funny, and he does have a cult following, and um, I do like him. He is he is good stuff, but uh, he had a, he has a show called um, what is the name of the show he does 
for uh, Comedy Central. It's uh, where he plays yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's where he plays that. Uh, it's like a parody of right. um, of, of like Chuck Norris shows. Yeah, it's, I know uh, what you mean. It, Can't place it. Wait a minute. Go it's for it. Fair. Find it. Show's or running out. Find out. it. Wait. Say something, Wade, while I look um, it up. While you're looking that up, we also uh, will wrap out television with uh, Modern Family. Well, you've got Portlandia to mention too. Uh, Modern Family complete third season on Blu-ray. Eagleheart. Uh, that's it. And Eagleheart is funny. It is. I've seen it. It's like a swoop of like action comedy shows. Yeah, I've seen, and, you know, it, it's I've seen produced, it a few times. It's produced by Conan O'Brien's company. Yeah. Anyway, Get a Life uh, complete life. series. And then Modern Family complete third season. Uh, you know, it, Modern Family. By the time this show uh, is on uh, up and you're listening to it, we'll probably have won more Emmys. So this is the uh, complete third season on Blu-ray of Modern Family, which I only have a problem with in that it totally rips off The Office in that whole kind of phony documentary look with the interviews and the shaky camera and all that stuff. It's just too many shows that are doing that uh, in the wake of The Office, uh, Parks and Rec and all these things. But uh, honestly, apart from that, it's a very well-written show, clever bunch of uh, cl- very funny cast, and it's it's been an influential show. I know a lot of people that like this way better than The Office. So... Maybe it is a case of uh, stealing and making better. Good special features. Uh, deleted and alternate scenes, not such a big deal. But a Modern Family Christmas, very fun. Uh, Destination Wyoming, a day on the set with Ty. Some, some great featurette work here. Uh, they've done a, above and beyond, I, I think, for fans. So fans will enjoy this. All right, finally, we have a season two of Portlandia. Now, Portlandia is kind of a cult show that uh, stars Fred Armiston. And it's all about uh, life in... Um Portland, Oregon, and all the crazy inhabitants uh, thereof. Now, this is a uh, Lorne Michaels show, and you know what? Lorne Michaels is pretty much responsible for more successful comedies than any television producer in history. So, uh, although he tends to strike out film-wise, he does do very well on TV. show's pretty charming. It's pretty funny. Um, you know, it's a low-budget show, but it kind of embraces its low-budgetness. And so, uh, you know, it's got a, it definitely has a very unique vibe. And it's got some interesting characters, and it's, it's a unique show. You know, I, I, I totally get it. It's good. Uh, season 2 on Blu-ray. Special features include a couple of uh, featurettes, and uh, one of the episodes is a director's cut, which doesn't add all that much more, but it's still funny. So there you go. Portlandia Season 2 worth a rental. Absolutely. And finally, before we let you all go, we got four movies new to DVD. Uh, two of these are uh, just regular DVDs, and two are Criterion. I'm going to recommend one of these regular ones and not the other one. The one I'm not going to recommend is the Dodecapentathlon, which is a, uh, a just horrible, horrible uh, Duplass Brothers uh, mumblecore low-budget film that they made while they were doing other movies. And they made this thing just with, like, video cameras and a bunch of non-actors and, and you know, themselves and, and whoever else. And it's about two brothers who uh, have this, you know, childhood rivalry with this weird sports event and all these, th- you know, we're, we're, and their egos get the best of them. And uh, they decide to have a rematch, and it just all gets completely out of hand. It's so, it's so mumblecore, it just drives me nuts. And it's on Blu-ray, and it might as well just be on VHS because it looks horrible. Uh, there's no reason for this thing to be on Blu-ray. It just isn't isn't good enough looking. On the other hand, Hysteria is a great freaking movie, and this thing did nothing in theaters. You've got to remedy that. Go out and buy or rent uh, the Blu-ray of Hysteria, which is a delightful movie. Uh, it's a Victorian story about the invention of the vibrator, which was originally uh, created to alleviate women's hysteria. And this is such a wonderful romantic comedy. It stars uh, Hugh Dancy and Maggie Gyllenhaal. It is just terrific. Jonathan Price and Felicity Jones in uh, supporting performances. This is Felicity Jones before she really kind of broke out, by the way. Um, it really, just a, it's based in fact, but it's such a delightful uh, period romantic comedy. You will love it. It's just so much fun. And a gorgeous Blu-ray, by the way. Sony Classics just nailed it. They knocked it out of the park. It's a fabulous transfer. And then lastly, we've got uh, two Criterion English language films here. Eating Raoul, the famous uh, cult film by Paul Bartel on Blu-ray. Uh, I never expected this to show up on uh, on a Blu-ray uh, from Criterion, of all people, but i got to tell you, they did a great job of it. This should look like crap because it's such a low-budget film. It doesn't even look good on film, but uh, they really did a lovely job on it. Lots of great features. Um, commentary with uh, Richard Blackburn and production designer Robert Schulenberg and the uh, film's editor. A lot of uh, other stuff from the, you know, like vintage stuff. Cooking Up Raul, which is a new documentary, and then... Um, a couple of pieces from uh, 1966 and 69, uh, The Secret Cinema and Naughty Nurse. I mean, this really, really just, uh, if, you, if you're a fan of the movie or a fan of Paul Bartel, this is archival stuff and you will love it. As to what the movie's actually about, if you don't know, 
boy, are you in for a treat. And I mean that literally and figuratively. Uh, and then lastly, a movie that we also never thought would wind up on a Criterion Special Edition is a Blu-ray of David Fincher's The Game, which was one of those throwaway Fincher films for a moment that uh, nobody really thought much of. But in hindsight, even though it's very much a, uh, a kind of a mechanical conceit with Michael Douglas as a guy who gets caught in this kind of weird uh, con game where everything, nothing is quite as it appears, but everything may be kind of a game, or maybe it's not a game, maybe someone's playing a trick on him, maybe there's really a conspiracy going on, maybe his life's being screwed up, maybe it's the ultimate practical joke, you don't quite know. And uh, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a conceit, it's a, it's a trick, uh, it's uh, not entirely I, I, successful. I, I, think but if, I think if Fincher had made this film today, he would uh, make it make more sense at the end. Yeah, I agree it, with that. There's a feeling that when, that when the big reveal happens, you're like, when, when a movie has a big reveal like that, you wind up going back and revisiting yeah. the stuff in your mind that happened, and a good movie will add that up. I it'll agree. It'll make sense. I agree. And, it'll, and the, the, what came before will equal the end. In, in this, this case, one, it doesn't. It doesn't, but it's awfully well made. Oh, so sure. the, 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 that's the reason why I think it's good that it's on Criterion because it is beautifully shot. It's really well made, and in hindsight, now that we know who Fincher is and what he's done since, and you look at stuff like you know the Social Network and everything else in Seven, you can look back on this and you can say, well, even though the movie has problems, I can see a much better filmmaker, a much better storyteller evolving. I can't say that necessarily about something like uh, the like Panic Room. But I can say that with the game. The game really does show those flourishes. So for that reason alone, it's nice that it gets the Criterion treatment and uh, deserves a, a space on your shelf. With that, we are done. Uh, Mark, what uh, what other... F- you didn't ask me for a final thought again. You always ask No. Me. I have nothing to say. What are you going to cook? What are you going to cook for me next week? I don't know. Okay. You know what? I, I, I will know because I will cook whatever... I, am, I will bake whatever I'm asked to bake for the cooking Because I'm just bringing my appetite now. Yeah, well, that's not fair. 